0: You guys can be seated. Good morning. Hello. My name's Joshua. Glad you guys are here. Um, We are going to jump back into our series. Gosh, there's so many of y'all. A lot of y'all get here like right after 10, I think. That's when I stopped looking back there. Um, Good to see you guys. Um, We're going to continue our series in 1 Samuel. So last week we took a break. We were uh, Easter Sunday vibes, Easter sermon. Um, this week we're back. So we'll be in 1 Samuel 3. Um, Bibles will be really helpful um, in your life in general, Um, just (laughs) uh, practically speaking, but also here on Sundays, especially as we go through 1 Samuel. We're going to be really in the text. And so whether that's your phone or a physical Bible, I just want to invite you to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 3. As you're turning there, um, I've got some, uh, important announcements for you. Um, first of all, last week was Easter Su- Cody, is that you? Oh, fresh shaved. I was like, who is that guy? It's you. Hey, Cody. Um, miss your beard, but I also love the new face. Um, anyway, uh, last week was Easter Sunday and we baptized eight people, y'all. Um, so man, um, you know, I don't know how to explain last week, um, It's getting, for me, it's been weirder and weirder as a pastor to like celebrate salvation. I low-key think that we almost underestimate that that's even possible nowadays. Like people can just like believe in Jesus and their whole life change. But I just, last week was such a testimony kind of week for me. I feel like God was like in my time of prayer, stirring in my heart, people want to give their life to the Lord and publicly declare that through baptism. I don't know how to explain that any other way. I felt God telling my heart that months ago. And I just thought it was such a fun moment last Sunday to see like the fruition of, I feel like the Holy Spirit's nudges. Like at first it was three people wanting to get baptized. I went to five, I went to seven. Then on Sunday we had another one added and that made it eight. And so anyway, I'm just trying to say, I think God's really been moving in our church family. I think the Holy Spirit moved in all eight of those people and I'm really excited. So that was awesome. So. Yeah, <laughs> take that! I don't know. I don't know how to wrap up what I'm saying right now. Um, all right. Uh, after the gathering today, April's been a month full of special stuff. So two weeks ago we had Fuel Bag Sunday. Last week we had eight baptisms. This week man, last but certainly not least, we are saying goodbye to our girl, Sarah Sullivan. This is her last Sunday as a campus coordinator. She's probably campus coordinating somewhere. I can't see her face right now. Um, but that's today on the porch. And so is she, is she on the floor down there? Okay. Hey, Sarah, what's up? We're celebrating you. Um, but we're having a going away party for her today. So hang out afterward. We've got some treats and some sweet things for Sarah. And so if you want to hang around Eat sweets and uh, tell Sarah you love her. Please hang out afterward. We're gonna have a little station for you to take photos of yourself. Who doesn't love doing that? Write a little letter to Sarah. But um, in all seriousness, we want to send off Sarah in a really positive way today. And so I know it'd mean a lot to her if uh, as many people stayed after as they can but to hug her, to pray over her, to bless her as she transitions out. Does that make sense? Okay, that's today. All right, so we're back in First Samuel. And uh, just to remind us where we've been, we've done three sermons so far, three conversations in 1 Samuel. The first one served as a big, broad overview. Here's some of the characters, here's some of the themes, here's some of the context. Uh, The second week, we got introduced to Hannah, Samuel's mama, um, her faithful prayer, praying for the miraculous birth of a son. She receives a son. And then in the third week, we visited Hannah's prayer, her prayer back to the Lord as she's Received a son, given him back to the temple. So we've got baby Samuel, all right? We've also got a guy named Eli. He's a priest in a temple. He's gonna be important today. Um, and if you're taking notes, today we're gonna to cover all of chapter three. And the title of today is simply Eli's Fall and Samuel's Rise. So Eli, the priest in the temple, he and his family, are going to, they're gonna suffer a pretty nice little fall here. And at the same time, God is gonna raise up our boy Samuel into a voice of the Lord. Um, And now I want to preface this way. I'm going to try to teach in a way that like really integrates PowerPoint and really nerds out. And this whole week, you can ask Luke, he was at my teaching meeting on Thursday. I've been kind of uncomfortable. I'm more comfortable when I just get to tell some funny stories, preach three points that start with the same letter and then send you to communion and we had a good Sunday right? That's just more fun. Like, funny story, ha, ha, ha. Emotional hit. Oh my gosh, that's true. That stirred me. And then we're out. Uh, uh, Right now, I'm doing way more like Bible study vibes, and I still don't know how this is going to go. I don't know. So if it's ever awkward, just lean in and try. Try with me, all right? If I ask you questions, try to know I'm actually wanting you to respond to them. That'll go a long way for me up here, so I'm not like sweating out of my palm so much. So um, is that cool? Lean in with me. Let's learn this together. And if it stinks, We'll change it. We'll do something different next week. We'll figure it out. But my hope is that as we go through 1 Samuel, I can teach you, like just through us doing this together, how to slow down and to think about Scripture in ways that, sometimes if you'll just slow down long enough and be curious about Scripture, God will like blow your mind. What is just kind of hidden in the text. And I'm trying to walk with you and do that together. And it's going to take you. So what I invite you to do is to take notes, to listen attentively, and whenever there's a chance and, and ask a question and you have a thought, I don't care. There's no right or wrong. The participation's where we win. So if you have an answer, please share it. Let's dialogue together as we walk through 1 Samuel. All right, there's all of it. Does that make sense? You guys are ready? You guys ready to interact, yeah. participate? <laughs> all right, so before we get to chapter three, I wanna recap what has happened in chapter two because we kind of leave Hannah's prayer um, and there's a lot that goes on. We sort of start, we, we start getting kind of the appetizer of Eli's fall and Samuel's rise. So reminder, Eli is a priest. And in verses 12 through 36 of chapter two, um, we learn some, some pretty big, sad things about Eli and his family. If you remember some of the common themes in 1 Samuel, God opposes the proud. Yeah, he draws near to the, humble and obedient. You guys did better than I thought you would. That was great. Um, Remember those themes. If you ever wonder what it looks like for God to oppose the proud, you actually get a good taste of it in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. So in verses 12 through 36, here's what we learn. We're not going to read it all, but Eli, priest in Israel at the temple, he and his family um, have really dropped the ball. That's really important because he and his family serve as priests to Israel. Like their job is to help Israel be in relationship with God. And they have totally forsaken their role. Specifically, it's Eli's sons. It's Eli's inability to take care of his household. That's Eli's failure. Because Eli's sons are reckless. They're working in the temple. And they get accused of quite a few things from God himself. So we know it's real. So God tells Eli, like, your sons have done this. They've slept with women that work in the temple, so they're sexually promiscuous, sexual wrongdoing. They've manipulated people that have brought animal sacrifices that were meant to be for the Lord. And so they've been spiritually abusive. And so basically, God tells Eli, like, your sons are driven by their greed, by their appetite, by their lust. Nothing new under the sun, like you got leaders that are supposed to be touting like the law and the love of God, and because of their own greed, their own selfishness, they've totally fumbled the bag. And so in chapter two, verse 27, we have this man of God, this mysterious man of God, who has a word from the Lord directly to Eli. He he says things like, God says this, why do you scorn my sacrifice and my offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? So you hear in God's words through this man, like, why are you doing this? Why are you treating my house this way? I chose you, I called you to be this person that connects my people to my presence. And instead, this is what you're doing. You're treating my offerings with contempt. You're sleeping with all these women. It almost evokes this picture of, you guys remember the story of Jesus in the temple? The one time we see him throw a big time temper tantrum, which a couple months ago I called a temple tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Church is fun. Church is fun. Um, but, uh, but if you remember, when we talked about Jesus's, when he, when he gets really angry and begins throwing tables, what we remember is he's marked by a zeal for the house of God. It's like this place represents where people get to talk to the Lord. They get to be in God's presence. They get to find forgiveness of sin. And you've turned it into this? This can't be. It's like the one thing that really makes Jesus angry. And it's similar here. God sees the house of Israel and, or the house of Eli and all of its failings and go, I cannot let this be. And so he basically promises through this man of God, I'm gonna end this line. I'm ending it. It's gonna end with your sons and your family will go on no more. So it's pretty, pretty intense, all right? At the end of uh, verse 35, God says, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest who will, quote, do according to what is in my heart and my mind. So at the end of this harsh word about Eli, your family's going away, your family of priests is going away, it doesn't work anymore, and I'm raising up someone who will quite simply hear and obey what is on my heart and mind. Now, if if you don't already know where this is headed, this is headed toward first Samuel. Samuel, the guy the whole thing's written about, being that guy, the guy that will grow up and obey what is on the heart and mind of God. So at the same time that Eli's house is kind of on its way down, we can remember, who's Samuel? We got Hannah, praised for a miraculous birth, much like with Abraham and Sarah, much like with Moses, much like with Jesus. There's this miraculous birth. Here comes Samuel. Samuel's born and committed to the temple. So he grows up into the temple. And cute, fun fact. If you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter one, we learned that Hannah would make this annual trip to the temple. And every time she she was at the temple, what would she pray for? She prayed for a son. She prayed hard for a son. And now that she has a son who's growing up in the temple, guess what? Chapter two, verse 19, one of the cutest verses in all of 1 Samuel. We learn she continues making her annual trips to the temple and guess what she brings with her? Someone look at it, verse 19 of chapter two. She brings an outfit. Every year she comes back and she brings a new little robe for Samuel. Come on, picture that, a mom making that annual trip to the temple and she's like, Samuel, guess what? He's like, no way, another robe? That's awesome. Like what a mom thing, it's so fun. But I think that's really cool. It's these little details that are fun because what it means, like picture Hannah. That temple used to symbolize a place for every year. This is where I just pray my guts out asking for a son. It turns to when she sees that temple, she knows I'm about to see the son God gave me and give him this little robe. Anyway, it's pretty fun. Um, and so every time that, um, that Hannah and Elkanah would, would visit, uh, Eli would bless him and tells us that that Eli continues to to raise Samuel and that Samuel continued to grow in the Lord. All right, so that's our backdrop. That's chapter two, really. Eli, family, harsh word, it's not going good. They've really messed it up. They fumbled the bag. And then Samuel being raised up, ironically by Eli himself, he could raise Samuel well, but not his own sons. And Samuel is gonna be the one that is obedient to the heart and to the mind of God. All right, so chapter three. We're going to read the first 10 verses together, then I'm going to interact with you guys, try to do the participation thing, and then we'll read the second half, interact there, and then we'll be done, okay? All right, so chapter three, this is where we're picking up, verse one, um, and just to give you a little context, all you really need to know is we're in the temple, Samuel's in a bed, I'm assuming trying to sleep, and then, uh, and then Eli's in a different bed in a different part of the temple, that's all you need to know, we're laying down, all right. Chapter 3, verse 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he couldn't see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where uh, where the ark of God was. Big moment. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went, laid down. The Lord again called, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. This is a great dialogue they're having. Verse seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse eight, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. What do you think Samuel did? He arose, went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and then Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. So now we're just going to walk back through what we just read, and I'm going to ask some questions, and we're going to dialogue. You guys ready? All right. So interesting story, pretty to the point. All right, But in verse 1, before we even get to Samuel, Eli, temple, you called me, that whole thing, there's something really interesting, in my opinion, right at the beginning of verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. What's that next sentence? And the word of the Lord was what? Rare. Was rare in those days. So quick question. Let's just start here. Let's just brainstorm. Let's get Let's get curious. Why was the word of the Lord rare? Why is that? Let's take some guesses. Isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that sp- pretty specific to point out here? The word of the Lord was rare. Because we're about to read a story about the word of the Lord coming to Samuel. So, yeah. Uh, what's up, newly baptized? Caleb? That was a little too good of a guess there, Caleb. <laughs> Wasn't it? You know it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's a okay. No, the Bible was not printed. Uh, my guess, one, I don't know the, the, the exact answer to this. My guess is, I'm guessing they had some version of the Torah, but it was mostly verbally. Cody, go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> I think it would be, yeah, have been written down to some degree, but it wouldn't have been, like obviously Samuel is an early part of the Bible, so it is happening as we're reading it, so it's not written down. But they would have probably had a, a few copies of the Torah given at Sinai, living in the temple, after around various synagogues and the area. But access to a physical copy was nearly impossible. So they were leaning into the priests for those words from God, for sure. Um, that's how my midweek sermon prep goes right there. Hey, Cody, I have a question that happens. Real talking, I'll just call him, like, what's going on? Anyway, but did you have a follow-up to that at all? Or were you just wondering? Yeah. It's a fact. That's true. That's a great point. Like, there was no, like, quiet time, you know daily devotional. Oh, it's January 17th. Oh, yeah. I'm going to read the scripture. It's a great question. Why was the Lord, word of the Lord rare? Any other guesses? Yeah. No Holy Spirit at the time, so not today. it's just whoever the Spirit of God came upon. Great word. Yeah. Awesome. No Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, I know, like, the, the era before this is, like, the judges, and it ends with that haunting statement where it says... Um, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right. so no, no, no. It's, kind of, it's, it's kind of like the whole crowd already the, the, the crowd. Yeah, you've already got a group of people that are kind of following their own moral compass, not adhering to the ways of God, so it's kind of a breakdown. Yeah. Um, these are great guesses. I, I think all this is like, yes, that's kind of the fun of this, is everyone gets to kind of be right here. Participation trophies all the way around. Um, but the the word of the Lord in this text specifically is speaking to, there's definitely a connection to the office of, a pri- of the priest, of it's the priestly duty to go and receive the word of God. And so Caleb, I do think, I think your guess is like the, the closest thing we can get to like the most accurate maybe, um, is man, the, the office of priests was being totally fumbled, right? We, we just talked about this, Eli, his sons, disobeying the ways of the Lord. Um, Therefore, whether it's them just being in the right place to hear God speak to them directly or just literally going to the scriptures, seeking to understand them and obey them and teach them to the people, it went down as they went down. I think those little facts are important because otherwise it just feels very mysterious. It kind of leaves us in this weird zone of why was God being so weird? It's like, well, the people responsible for holding the word of God close to them and giving it to the people are totally missing it, right? And so coincidentally, the word of the Lord is a little more rare. So Back to the story. So we've got Samuel, he's laying down. Eli, laying down. And right here's where we get the beginning of Samuel's adventures, of his journey, hearing from the Lord. So this is a huge moment for Samuel, the one who the whole book is written up. His job is gonna to be to declare the words of the Lord to the people of Israel. This is his first time hearing from God. And so naturally, the first two times, I mean, just picture this. Young Samuel, maybe like 12 to 15 years old, some, maybe somewhere in that range. So picture someone this young. Eli, he's struggling to even see, so he's old. So put a beard on him in your your head and a lot of wrinkles. And he's just trying to sleep. And so Samuel hears something, goes, maybe taps Eli on the shoulder, like, why'd you say my name and then pretend to be sleeping? What's the point of this exercise? (laughs) You know what's going on? And Eli's like, why are you waking me up? What's the point of this exercise? You know. And so the first two times is what we have, very like human responses, just what's going on? Who's talking to me? But that third time, something happens. And I think it's fun to kind of get curious about what strikes Eli's mind. Why did Eli not jump to like, hey, you're a psycho. Like, stop tapping me, tell me that I'm calling your name. Like, his mind jumps to, hey, I think the Lord is actually talking to you. And it kind of made me wonder, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Eli had a moment similar to this. Maybe before he, his family went awry and Eli had an ear for the, the words of the Lord, maybe he remembered God grabbing his attention in a similar way that he knew to tell Samuel, hey, I think God's talking to you, but regardless, he tells Samuel, the next time you hear this voice, respond in a certain way. So now look at verse nine, and I want you to read in verse nine how Eli tells Samuel to respond. All right, read that verse. I'll read it over us, why not? Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, your servant hears, okay? Now, we're gonna jump to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. All right, someone tell me what is different between what he was instructed to say and what he actually says. The word Lord, okay, okay? Why? Why do you think that word is missing? Let's let's just chase that down. What would be some guesses you have? Yeah? Uh, verse 7 talks about, like, he did not know the Lord yet, which I, I find it interesting with this. Like you said, he was 12 15 years old, like, his faithfulness of doing this stuff is all kind of like, I mean, Eli knew because he, he had heard the Lord before, but oh, that's a long time to to do something for that long never hear the Lord or understand what's going on. So and you didn't know who he was, but we yet he had you know all that time of uh doing the things in the temple, you know. Yep. I think we can kind of be like that too. It's like makes you wonder like, do we really know the Lord? So, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. with this That's a long time to do something just to do something and not even know why you're doing it. But you might know why you're doing it, but yep. you haven't heard of freedom that Eli maybe had been telling you about. Mm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just, a lot of goodness in there. Keep going. Lord is kind of a title, not a name, and it's... It's not natural to, to give someone that like, honorific right? if you don't know who they are. So you were told to give this honor, but the initial response is like, mm. you, you're speaking to me, are you, can you talk to me. A little bit of a question mark in Samuel's own understanding of who he's talking to, almost. Hmm, that's good. What else? Yeah. of the spelling or like that. so they were like keeping it so holy mm-hmm. so maybe the fact that he doesn't even feel like he knows god that he, like he can even say his name. yeah whoa that's really good so almost like out of reverence like i'm, about, I'm not about to misname whatever this is god I'm, i gotta know for sure because even that word like yahweh or the all caps lord yeah that's really good there's a reverence there maybe a nervousness anything else these are great gosh Yeah. Like, he just like, like, maybe answered really fast and just forgot to say, like, the first time that, like, God is talking to so I'm not just like, see, like, okay, I said it wrong. Like, I think that's easily in the text. I, I mean, we, we read this and just go, oh, the, the book is called Samuel, this dude named Samuel, hears from God, responds appropriately, like it all makes sense, it all fits, and we just remove the humanity from it, right? I think it's very fair, Sarah, to say he was nervous, like that's one of the things I read at least in the absence of the word Lord, was like there was this timid, shy spirit in him. So imagine being 12 to 15 years old, one, weren't those the days uh, you thought you had worries, um, it's so beautiful, um, And uh, my mind just went to recess and was like, man, recess was so sick back in the day, but it's over. (laughs) But anyway, um, but yeah, imagine being 12 to 15 years old and to hear an audible voice. I mean, that's super strange. And so I I think my brain probably doesn't jump to, that must be like the living God, you know, of all eternity talking to me, right? And so um, there's a nervousness. When Samuel gives him that instruction, or when Eli gives him that instruction, there's probably this like, what if that is... God, and it brought about this natural, probably a little bit of fear, trembling. Like the first time God speaks to you audibly, like you may think you're confident in yourself and your walk with God, but the first time, like something really goes down, I mean, there's a lot of like humility, a lot of fear, a lot of trembling. If you think about um, other stories in the scriptures, when the angels show up to the shepherds, and their first words are basically just, hey, don't be scared because this is kind of scary, right? Or whenever Jesus, whenever Peter meets uh, Simon uh, Peter, wait, I don't know how I just said that. Whenever Jesus meets Peter and he does that miracle, gives him all these fish, what's Peter's first instinct? It's like shy, timid, humble, get away from me, Lord. This is not my territory. I do not interact with the God man. Like it just doesn't feel natural. And I think you see this here. I think you feel like this lack of like natural chemistry in their first kind of meeting together. It reminds me of the phrase that, that God doesn't call the equipped. Uh, but he equips the called, right? Like God so often kind of works in a weird order. He sees these lifelong fishermen that failed Torah school basically and says, hey, come follow me. Like leave everything for me. He calls. He considers them worthy of the calling, even though they're like, I don't know the first thing about being a follower of Jesus. I just met you. It's the same sense that you get with God in, in the burning bush when he's talking to Moses and what's Moses's rebuttal? He's like, I've got a stuttering problem. Surely I'm not ready, right? There's something about God's call that can bring out this timidity, this shyness. And I think we see this here in Samuel. Um, all right, that's part one. Let's move to part two. So Samuel being reached out to from the Lord himself. Now we're gonna get into the content of the message. Um, we're gonna look at the message itself um, and then also what that message says about God's relationship with Samuel. So let's, let's read uh, verses 11 through 21. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming me. Oh wait, I read that sentence wrong. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet Of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. All right, so Samuel hears a message from God, and it is substantial, all right? So it is not super chill. Uh, it's not a very good like day one training. Like, hey, welcome. Um, hey, first day, uh, go tell your boss he's fired and that it's all his fault. <laughs> you know, It's basically uh, the word that Samuel's getting. But um, let's talk about, just as a church, w- what's the gist of the message? So this is in verses 11 through 14. Uh, go ahead and read back through the content of that message. What's, what's the gist? What is God telling Samuel about Eli and his family? What's he letting Samuel know? Basically, you're summarizing what you read. But they're going to die. Yeah, Eli and his sons are going to die. Why are they going to die? Yeah, they haven't been faithful serving the temple. They have specifically blasphemed the ways of God. Kind of spit in the face of God's law and instruction. What else? What else do we learn? Did I see a hand back there? Oh, here we go. God's affirming the promise that he told you already. Yeah, God's a, yeah, that's a really big one. God is affirming. If you notice what I referenced back in chapter 2, verse 27, there's a man of God that gives this harsh message to Eli. So this is the second word that Eli has learned. His family's in trouble. So if the first one felt like a fluke, maybe that guy was just hearing things. The second one probably starts to feel like more of a confirmation. Hey, God's really talking to you. Yeah, he takes something kind of serious. What else? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the consequences of, of his actions, of his lack of being able to keep his house in order, he learns, like, oh, this is going to have a real end to my, a literal end to my family line. And their role in the temple. Anything else? Anything else you notice? Yeah? I think that he says the guilt of house will never be sacrifice or offering. Yeah. I've gone too far. Yeah, there's and throughout the scriptures, if you, you you'll find this like in Isaiah, Jeremiah, you'll see this with Jesus, but God tends to be very disappointed, frustrated, angry at anyone that like represents the temple, um, taking lightly like the sacrifices of people when they bring their sacrifices to the temple and they treat them, they manipulate them, they steal from them, like over and over again, they're like. God is not pleased with just sacrifice, and since you've manipulated the sacrifices, he will not be pleased with your sacrifices, and so there's this real, like, you've abused these people for so long, and you're about to experience kind of my wrath toward that. The sacrifice was supposed to represent atonement, forgiveness of sin, like, this love of God to his people, and they had messed that up. Yeah? At the beginning of what the Lord is saying to Samuel, he basically, he basically says to Samuel, like, hey, this is really heavy, like, all of Israel's gonna be, like, confused why this Yep. And Samuel's like a twelve-year-old boy, like he needed to be warned by the Lord. To to like, and even to the Lord, this is such a big thing by saying, like, "Oh yeah, like Israel's going to take it to the ends." Yeah. How take yeah. And dude, it's such a big word. So just to sum up, simple bullet points. When he talks to in this message to Samuel, he's getting Israel's attention. We know he's going to do that. He's going to get Israel's attention. He's going to end Eli's family. That's happening. It's going to come to an end. Um, And the message definitely reveals God's disdain for blaspheming his ways. Like he will not put up with that. He does not have a high tolerance level for blaspheming his ways, especially if you're a priest and you represent God himself, all right? So, um, but I do wanna talk about how intense that message was for Samuel. So let's look at this from a different angle. What does it tell us about God and Samuel? That This is the message Samuel gets. What does it tell us about God's relationship with Samuel? considering how intense the message is, what what might we glean from their relationship? Yeah. I feel like he's kind of showing his hand as to like maybe what he's calling Samuel into, even though Samuel probably like is not ready for it in some sense or isn't ready. Yeah, I think it's right. I think he just shared that uh, he's kind of tipping his hand. Samuel might be the next guy in line. He might be raising Samuel up, whether Samuel's ready for it or not. I think there's some of that in there for sure. What else? Yeah. I think it, it indicates how much Samuel's going to have to rely on God because it's going to become very publicized what happened in the church for kind of the highest level of spirituality, and he's then going to represent that. after their own. Dang, that's true. That's quite the, uh, I didn't even think about like how people would think about that, like the office of priest. And so he's replacing the guy that was just like killed by the Lord and just the weight of that too. That's really interesting. Uh, what else? What else does it say about God and, and Samuel? Yeah. It's not like, I mean, this is a lot of God where he just deals with people. It's not like this slow training program of like, we're gonna get you to the next level over a year. It's, it's like he throws you into the expert round. Because not for you, but it's almost the sweetness of like he he knows that he's able to hold that weight. But Samuel doesn't know it yet, and you kind of have to be pushed to challenge in order to know that you are able to be the next problem. Yeah, huge. That's good, Sam. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about Like, he's not doing any of the activities. He's just sitting, too. It's wild. Anything else? Yeah? It comes across as an example of the innocence of that new relationship. And then he keeps coming back to Eli as a man, as a human. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. He's really not. And so it's kind of an example of how we should hear God, how he should us that we don't hear him. come on that'll preach. It's awesome. Yeah. So to sum up, um, what do we hear or what what can we see? I I have a few notes of my own, but um, one, I think we can just know that God is drawing near to Samuel. So that's an important thing to know. That's kind of obvious, but he sees Samuel as someone worth, or someone that is worthy of him drawing near to. Clearly he trusts Samuel. I think it's important we understand that he has a special calling on his life. Like there's a very unique calling. And one of the things that we kind of pointed out in our first Samuel overview. If you remember my sit down with Aaron, where we talked about how to read the Bible. Sometimes we can bring like a main character lens. So we're always the main character. So whatever we read, we go, okay, how am I in this story? Um, and it's not really the way to do it. So when we read that Samuel has a special calling, I'm not meaning, so we all have special callings, right? Like, um, I think that's true though. That's where it gets tricky because I, I do think that's real. Um, but, but I think it's important we understand Samuel has a very unique calling, he is gonna be the voice box from heaven to the people of Israel. And it's starting right here. So this is a big moment for Samuel, right? Um, I think it's easy to see that God trusts Samuel and that he's raising Samuel to hear, to obey, and to deliver the words of the Lord. Like that he is entrusting Samuel to hear from God, to obey what God says, and to deliver the words. So um, what we get, God, uh, Samuel hears this message from God, goes, tells Eli. Eli kind of humbly uh, receives it. And then now we're gonna wrap up chapter three because um, we get a quick glimpse into Samuel's future. So the first three chapters are sort of an intro. Um, it's a good way to think about it because this is about to set us, set us through the rest of the book. Okay, So it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. So what that means is, is that every word that Samuel spoke in the prophetic sense, so if Samuel ever said, the Lord's going to do this, it all happened. And so there's going to be a lot of characters in 1 Samuel. Some of them are going to let us down. Some of them are going to be neutral. But as for Samuel, things are looking pretty good because we know that God draws near to the humble and obedient. So what does it say about Samuel that none of the words that come out of his lips will ever fall to the ground, that they will all be fulfilled and be true. It tells us Samuel is gonna be the character we're kind of thirsting for, right? And he's probably gonna point us to someone that we're all thirsting for in Jesus. And so that's important to understand. All right, last thing I have for us, and then we'll go into communion. Uh, In verse 21, at the end of chapter three, it says that the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. So that place where the temple is and better translated the lord continued to appear so at the beginning of chapter 3 it states the word of the lord was rare and at the end of chapter 3 it says the lord continued to appear what is different and why do you think it's different between those two things this is kind of a, I'm setting this one on T for you so chapter 3 verse 1 the word of the lord is rare chapter 3 verse 21 The word of the Lord continued to appear. What's different? Yes. Yeah, 100%. It reeks of God having a plan for Israel, of him getting their attention. What else? Yeah? I feel like it kind of shows God's own character of, like, in any relationship. Like, if you're not putting meaning to it, like, the other side is not, like, giving back. Mm. You know? And now that some Samuel is, like, also engaged with God listening, like... Too, else is listening to him. Yeah. He's talking about the reciprocal nature of like God and his people. Because someone like Samuel was in position to hear, to listen, and obeyed whenever God spoke, the more that he happened to, he just so happened to hear God. It's one of those, like, if you want to have faith, just have it uh, and you'll see its benefits. But like if you try to like think through it, but anyway, Samuel is available, right? He's available to hear and obey the word of the Lord. So as Eli and his house falls and Samuel and his house raises up into the seat of being a priest slash prophet to the people of Israel, the only thing we need to know about the difference between verse one and verse 21 is a man that was ready to hear and obey. That's really the only difference. And so for me, I love details like that because it takes away some of the magic of it. Like, why did God like not speak a lot in verse one? And then he's speaking a lot. Well, he had someone who was humble, and who is obedient. And so to wrap up this time, I want to help us reflect on the first three chapters of 1 Samuel. And I've got five questions, um, and I'm just going to give you a simple task. I want you to answer three of those questions in one or two sentences for yourself. Um, and so this is what we're going to do for our time of communion. So if you want to do this on your own, um, you want to circle up and this with other people, you can do that. Handle however you want. But I want us to start reflecting together. Um, here's the five. So what have you learned about Eli and his son? So what are some themes? What are some things? Because I think it's written intentionally. I think there's some things to learn about Eli and his family. What have you learned about Samuel's journey so far? What have you learned about God? Did you notice anything that maybe parallels with Jesus? And then with chapter three in mind, this conversation in mind, what's something that maybe you would pray for in your own life? So take like five minutes, literally pull out a phone, pull out a pen and paper, and just reflect, maybe choose three of these questions Take some time to think about what you're observing, what you're learning, and then uh, I'll call us out of, uh, out of this time of reflection.